0: Hello
1: from Austin and welcome to the spooktacular episode 43 of the National Security Law Podcast brought to you by the University of Texas.
0: I'm Bobby Chesney using a weird Halloween radio voice. And I'm Steve Loddick. Bobby, don't be scared. It's just one indictment.
1: Oh, Halloween is terrifying.
0: Uh, well, no, this, this news cycle is terrifying. <laughs> the, news cy- the news cycle is keeping us busy, my friend. We have a it, lot to talk about. I, I mean, you could say it's full of candy, but only in the sense that it's like horrifying, terrible candy that makes us sick and keeps us up late at night. This is starting to sound like some sort of 1970s you know, uh, you know urban myth that's going around about the poison candy <laughs> in the neighborhood. There's a lot of poison candy going around this Halloween. There is, there um, is. So, okay, I guess there's some it's it's, it's let, Let's be clear because there is actually quasi-breaking news going on. It's 10.40 Central Daylight Time on Halloween, Tuesday, October 31st. Bobby, we are some 27 hours post the Manafort news breaking. Indictment Palooza. Indictment Palooza. I think some people called it like Muller Day. Muller Day. <laughs> um, yeah, Muller Time. Mueller Time is probably the catchiest of these deals to
1: keep with our 70s commercial uh, theme. So we've got that to talk about, Steve, the indictment of Paul Manafort, uh, Richard Gates, and the plea deal with uh, George Papadopoulos. Yep. Uh, we will talk about uh, the latest developments with our ongoing, uh, what is is like the seventh week in a
0: row? John Doe Habeas. John Doe Habeas. Although there actually are things to talk about now.
1: There are. ACLUV Mattis. So we'll, we'll talk about the filing and, and some further sort of glimpses of what's happening behind the
0: scenes. One of the many things in yesterday's busy news day is the government filed its brief in response and had some probably not terribly surprising things to say about why they don't think that. ACLU should prevail.
1: No, I think it, it unfolded the way we uh, imagined it would. So we'll unpack that. And you heard it
0: here first. Yeah,
1: that's right. And last. <laughs> uh, then we'll talk about a, a new case. Uh, this is mm. United States versus Mustafa Ali Mom. This is a new Benghazi case. There was a special operations raid, uh, at least that's the way it was sort of conveyed to me in some of the media reports I looked at, uh, in Libya in cooperation with the Libyan government that nabbed someone who's been actually under a sealed indictment. It's that somehow sealed indictments should figure into our title, Steve. Uh, a, a sealed indictment. Un,
0: unsealing the indictment.
1: Back in 2015 against this person for his uh, role in yeah. relation to the Benghazi attacks, they found him. Ooh, they- Hillary! <laughs> You're always you're always doing that whataboutism stuff, Steve. You got to let that go. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, several interesting aspects of that uh, situation, including I, what I thought is the most interesting part of the whole deal: a White House statement in the name of the president strongly endorsing civilian criminal prosecution.
0: Holy cow! Who knew?
1: Yep. So then, it, you know, if time permits, we might pause at that point and talk about. Yesterday's uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing on whether we need a new AUMF and maybe some ways that might or might not relate to the ongoing fallout from the Niger operation or the ambush of US forces in Niger. Um, I'm not sure we're going to get to that, Steve, because we've got to squeeze in a lot, and we definitely need to talk about the breaking news. Yes,
0: in the Al-Nasheri Guantanamo Habeas or Guantanamo Military Commission mass lawyer resignation story. So, um, Carol Rosenberg, and I'm just going to say this now, if you don't follow Carol Rosenberg, you are doing it wrong. Um, Carol Rosenberg has been reporting that as we are sitting here recording this podcast, uh, Judge Spath, the presiding judge in the military commission case, has been threatening to hold just about the whole defense team. Um, in contempt of court for resigning out of what they say is an intractable ethical conflict. Bobby, that raises some interesting questions about who controls that question, about the lawyer's duty and about, oh, I don't know, is the D.C. Circuit going to feel super good um, about the um, military commissions either forcing lawyers to participate or allowing Nashri's defense to go forward without a, quote, learned counsel, unquote.
1: Well, we we may have some disagreement on that one. Oh my so God! Finally, no, finally, no, we uh, won't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So speaking of things uh, that we disagree about, yeah, that we probably won't disagree about, let's talk about the item that's. Uh,
0: oh wait, we want to. You don't want to tell people what our trivia is, just oh, to keep oh, yeah, them waiting.
1: Uh, so the the uh, teaser for the trivia yeah. is
0: um, why this World Series is really pretty and abominable as baseball. Uh,
1: I see. I am. I have such a dog in this fight because I'm so excited about the Astros doing well. That, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know pretty ugly who knows all I know is it's exciting yes. it's getting people watching baseball and
0: no it's getting people watching this video game that looks like baseball. But when Yasiel Puig is hitting a one-handed pop-up for a home run, and when you have you know the most home runs in World Series history through five games, oh, I sense a conspiracy theory coming on. I don't know, listen. I'm not. I'm not imputing intent. I'm just saying that, like the new Star Trek movies, we should understand the difference between things that are really pretty and fun to watch and things that are actually good.
1: <laughs> Speaking of things that are, dare we say it? pretty and fun to watch. (laughs) Our first topic is the first shot out of the box in the Mueller investigation, the indictment of Paul Manafort, Richard Gates, and the plea deal. The plea deal unsealed with respect to George Papadopoulos. Steve, give us a quick rundown. Um, what are the important takeaways here?
0: So I I, I may be sort of um, extreme in my views on this. I actually think that um, the Manafort and Gates indictment is largely a distraction in comparison to the Papadopoulos plea deal. Um, yes, none of us had ever heard of George Papadopoulos before yesterday, um, but- Do you think a lot of people
1: are saying like, wait, isn't that the guy that was involved in the Clinton campaign? Then he has the, he's a news guy now. That's Stephanopoulos. That's Stephanopoulos people. I was thinking Stephanopoulos. Of,
0: So I was thinking of what's the old TV show with Alex Katsopoulos? Oh, right? I don't know that one. Um, it's that? like the, the the guy who the, the former Detroit Lion who has this TV show. It's uh, anyway. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, so so here's why. Right. I think there are two. Leaving aside for a moment the Manafort and Gates indictment, which you know at least on paper is not super campaign related. Right. It's really that these oh, two guys yeah. were involved in a whole bunch of super shady financial dealings at least in the indictment unrelated to the campaign yeah it,
1: it, it's, it's, with the caveat i think it's important to bear in mind cuz a lot of people were saying including the president like oh well, this indictment is <laughs> entirely about things from before he's on the campaign well, no the 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 original unacknowledged and, and, com- and completely corrupt representation of these ukrainian entities um yes was before then but the laundering continued
0: yes 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 quite so so we'll, we'll you know i don't know if maybe in a later in a later episode we'll get to that i think yeah. it's but here's why i think the papadopoulos unsealing there are three big reasons why I think it matters. So let me, let me lay them out and then you tell me why I'm wrong. Um, big reason number one, um, unlike an indictment, this is a plea deal, right? He is, conf- he is agreeing that he made f- material false statements to federal prosecutors and that those material false statements were related to the campaign, were related to particular um, things he said about interactions with the Russian government, with Russian officials during the campaign, right? The alleged Putin's niece... What, 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 whatever yeah, whatever sort of B, B novel, you yeah. know, sort of plot twist you want to take with this, right. here you have someone saying, asserting, yeah. stipulating, as a matter of fact, that these things happened. Right? Important part number one. Important part number two. He's pleading in, in exchange for something,
1: right? No, he's he seems likely to have been cooperating. Uh, and, right, there's uh, a story
0: out suggesting that maybe he wore a wire for the last three months, which you know, who knows what would have been picked up on that, right? So, so that tells me that that Papadopoulos isn't just a cooperating witness, but is it a co- is a cooperating witness who had something of value to the special counsel investigation right? that is not just what's in the Manafort indictment. I
1: completely agree so far. Right, so
0: there's more coming. Um, and number three, um. We had no idea this was coming. this guy was arrested at Dulles this whole thing happened in July and for three months this has been kept a secret. So for folks who have been accusing the Mueller campaign of leaking um, I you know this seems a pretty powerful sort of counterpiece of evidence that they actually at least if they want to right have no trouble keeping stuff very tightly under wraps.
1: I I don't have any issue about the Mueller campaign, molar investigation leaking as such, but I don't think the fact that they could keep you know this thing under wraps tells us anything about whether maybe some people on the team have been leaking, but. That said, I'm certainly against prosecutors leaking yeah. what's going on in investigations.
0: But, but 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 I mean I'm imp- I'm impressed, oh, right? Yeah. that this was kept a secret for as long as it was. Well, that,
1: to me, the significance isn't what it pretends for possible leaking accusations directed to the team. I don't even want to go there because I think there's already just this awful right. attempt to try to delegitimize yep. these these good public servants. Here, here. Um, it's that it shows you that whatever it is that people think they know about the investigation, based on the public record, is you have no guarantee that you know the full size that's and right. scope of what's going on here, uh, and you know which is as it ought to be normally in a criminal investigation that's still <laughs> unfolding. But I completely agree that it's Papadopoulos that that's the part that touches that campaign. Now, if you're if you're coming from the Trump camp, you're going to say, well, look, this is this guy was kind of a.
0: He was a kid. He was a volunteer. He was a, a, well, he was, he was a fringe, player, fringe player. In Never the, heard
1: of him. That's why the significance is the probable cooperation. Yeah. Because, of course, the nature of these things is you, you start somewhere and you flip up and you cooperate up from yep. there. You roll, you roll up the hill. You roll up the hill using whatever cooperation you can get to improve yep. the cases against more senior People, and the ultimate interesting question here, it really is, you know, how, how far might this ultimately go? I don't think we actually have any reason at this point to think it's going to necessarily go way up that hill to the point where it starts getting near the president. Um, there's no reason to assume that'll be the case. It might be. Only time's going to tell.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Although I will say, I mean, so there are a couple of tantalizing um not clues, but sort of references to other individuals, right? In the Papadopoulos plea, there's a, I think, senior policy advisor, mm-hmm. right, who there's some speculation might either be Manafort or perhaps even Attorney General Sessions. Since Sessions was in charge of the sort of national security team in that part of the campaign, we don't know. Yeah. I'd be surprised if, if it's Sessions. What about really? – uh, you know
1: there are other campaign officials that yeah, yeah. seem more
0: likely. Listen, I mean uh, we don't know, and 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 I think the the speculation game is only going to sort of lead us in circles. I think the key point is contra the president's tweet yesterday, contra what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said from the podium in the White House press room yesterday. Um, this is that there's more a coming.
1: No, no question. Like that, the idea that was put out there yesterday that this was sort of like, well, there it is. That's what they had. Well, that's not. That's all the, you have. That's not how this stuff works. No. Come on. Um, all right. So there we go.
0: Placeholder on that. We'll see what happens next. Um, but I mean, I will just say one, just one last thought on this, right? Um, on the sort of – I mean, do you think, Bobby, that the Papadopoulos plea is the first concrete sign that there was at least some contact and some connection between at least some folks in the campaign and the Russian government?
1: Oh, I, I don't think that was – like dispute i don't think it was the first such sign right. the um, fir- do you mean the first sign from the Mueller investigation well,
0: yeah sure the first conclusive like indisputable proof of such i i think it's the clearest proof i don't think right. we were lacking for
1: signs of this
0: before. see this is why you're too reasonable you're okay, you're, just, you're, well, you're no fun let me
1: let me let me try to find something i can disagree with you more
0: standing on. standing to contest a habeas case there we go
1: no i i'm not sure how different we are on this we might be a little bit different let's talk about the aclu v mattis development this is the uh, John eighth, Doe, U.S. citizen, yeah.
0: habeas petition.
1: American citizen, uh, the guy that we've been holding as an enemy combatant uh, in connection with the Islamic State.
0: For seven weeks. For
1: seven weeks in Iraq. And the ACLU, listeners, you will recall, the ACLU has filed a suit, though they've had no contact with him and so can't claim to have any direct authority to represent him. They've, they've invoked next friend status to try to file on his behalf. And then as the first sort of formal move after filing the case um, – pressed for an order to show cause why they shouldn't be given access to you know lock in their ability to represent him and and, and to talk to him and so forth and the government uh, its deadline to file its opposition to that order to show cause was this uh, monday mm-hmm. uh, so two day, uh, yesterday they they filed it and steve surprise surprise they denied that the ACLU can appoint itself to be the next friend and this is exactly what you know any reasonable government response was going to argue. Do you see anything interesting or novel or unexpected in the actual weeds of the doctrinal claims? Um, The brief is not just about who gets to be a next friend. There's some doctrine. There's some case law. Um, There's a little bit more. But on that
0: issue, what did you make of it? So, I mean, I, I found the brief mostly unsurprising, right? I found the brief, I think, mostly sort of Doing what I expected it to do with regard to next friend standing, basically saying, "Hey guys, the ACLU, you know, God bless them, but they've never had any contact with this guy, right? right? There are reasons why we don't let if people- they get it. Why not? Why not any yeah. other number of um, the one thing I was surprised. So the the brief does a very sort of clever. There's a clever move in the brief that I think was deliberate. You know, I others might disagree. Okay, where the brief on two separate occasions, refers to the ICRC notification. Yes, yeah, exactly what I wanted to talk and, about. And and says, listen, everybody, if Doe really wanted a lawyer, right, nothing would have stopped the ICRC from contacting his family. Um, at which point the family could have arranged counsel, perhaps even the ACLU, um, right, but just somebody. Um right. and, and and they refer to this twice. Now yep. um I have sort of two problems with this reasoning, right? First, is it is not ICRC's job to arrange counsel, um, and the ICRC rep I can't imagine would have ever said, "If you want a lawyer, I can tell your family to help you to help hire one for you." Maybe, yeah, right? probably.
1: I mean, there's no reason to assume that they say that,
0: right? Second, um, when Dana Priest's article in the Washington Post on Sunday, if it's tr- correct, and I have no reason to think it's not, says that on multiple occasions Doe quote demanded a lawyer unquote. Right. So as opposed to inferring from his um, not asking the ICRC to contact his family that he did not want representation, what about the claim that he demanded a lawyer, which seems like a more direct fact that he wants representation? Why doesn't that cut the other way? We know, we know now
1: from the declaration that accompanied the memorandum, the declaration of Stephen Dalby, who's the head of
0: DOD's Office of detainee
1: Policy. Is it DOJ Do- or DOJ? I thought
0: he was DOJ Detaining Policy.
1: No, DOD. Ah. He's DOD Detainee Policy. Um, He said that the first ICRC meeting was September 29th, and then another one occurred eight days ago on October 23rd. And, and this is quoting now from his declaration, quote, the detained individual makes the personal choice whether or not the ICRC will notify their next of kin. That matches up with what you said about the memorandum, which um, says there's, quote, no reason to think the detainee could not contact through the ICRC a relative who then could satisfy the requirements for next friend standing if the detainee desired to file a petition. Right. You point out that we're told from, from Dana's article in the Post that uh, this guy apparently definitely knows his rights and, and, and new to invoked them and was Mirandized and has invoked his right to counsel. So why shouldn't we assume, Steve, that in meeting twice with the ICRC, he would have said, I want a lawyer. Tell my family. I want like If he's right. saying to the government he wants a lawyer, why wouldn't he be saying, please tell my family I'm here. Please yeah. tell them to do something.
0: So uh, here two problems, right? One, we don't know what the ICRC said to him. And so we don't know how clear it was to John Doe, right, that through the ICRC he had a mechanism for indirectly obtaining counsel by directly contacting his family, right? So without that on the record, and there's nothing in the declaration about what the content of that communication right. was, right? Um, and in fact, DOD doesn't know. Those are unmonitored right, communications. as they should be. Yeah. Well, DOD so is supposed to not know. I think it's a, they don't know. Okay, so when we get when we get in Nashri, when we get back to the question of ethical conflicts with attorney-client, are you claiming that it's
1: DOD that allegedly is monitoring? I'm just it?
0: saying that I'm not as confident as you are that, that that no one ever crosses that line. Okay, okay, but but uh, assume good faith. Yeah. Okay, um, number two, right? Um, why are we so sure that this guy's on good relations with his family? right? I mean, right. you know, why why, why, why are we only allowing this guy to vindicate his rights through a family from which he could very well be estranged, especially if he went off to fight for ISIS? Indeed. No, right. I think
1: that's a very real possibility that his family is actually either not interested in helping him, maybe he's estranged, who knows?
0: Right. And so, and so I guess to my mind, I would think the more relevant fact is if the government doesn't dispute it, and they don't in their filing, that he has asked for representation, says to me he has an interest in invoking legal process on his behalf. That doesn't settle whether the ACLU you as the right, right lawyer to do it, it does suggest that he is interested in testing the legality oh, of his detention. I mean, I'm
1: mean, i kind of playing just to create some tension in our
0: views here. because I, I know your view is that we need some jurisdictional discovery
1: on this. I even and wrote I, a blog post about and, it last and, night. And I, and I can say I, I agree. It's the simplest thing in the world. There, there are any number of ways one could, with very minimal intrusion in the process, I propose three out. yes or no questions. Yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward in, the, in that they probably need to do that at this point. Because here's the
0: problem. So Judge Chutkin is now stuck on the horns of a dilemma, right? Because on the one hand, she has the government making what to me is an entirely plausible argument based on existing standing doctrine. Right. Um, on the other hand, there's an obvious circularity problem, where the reason why this guy has no access to a lawyer is because the government is preventing him from accessing a lawyer. I think it's even
1: sharper than that, in that the on one hand, you you can't just let anyone come in and say, "Well, I'd like to represent you," but you also cannot have the case be that there's no actual way to proceed as long as the government keeps yep. the person's identity. So- Dis- disclose. So I just want to say
0: two more things, and then I think we, we, we may have beaten this into the ground, yeah. right? So first, so here, just just so everyone understands how simple, right? So the government says in this declaration that where he's being held, there's no video conferencing capabilities, right? Fine. Here's a piece of paper, right? Right? Piece of paper with three questions. Dear John Doe, question one, do you consent to the filing of a habeas petition on your behalf, right? Question two, if so, do you consent to having the ACLU Foundation represent you in this matter on a pro bono basis, Right? Question three, if not, do you consent to having the court appoint a different qualified lawyer to represent you in this matter? Right. Yet three yes, no questions, the answers to which would settle the stand in question, would allow this case to go forward, would not. The government surely can't argue that it would compromise national security to pass three yes, no questions to a detainee. So
1: my view is at some point that you, you have to do something like this. You can't just keep dragging it out forever. Now, this is where it gets interesting. In the brief, the government says after having referred to the possibility that the detainee really does have an out here. Could have gone through the ICRC to family. I think we've explained why that may or may not be an adequate response. Mm-hmm. May not be. The, the the next line is at the very least, it is too soon too to soon. conclude otherwise. So
0: I want to, I, so the second point I want to make, and this is where I think maybe you and I do disagree, is the government refer, says too soon. I think two or three times in their brief, right? right? Um, they don't say when is not the too right soon. time. So right. so this is so this to me is the million dollar question, right? We're seven weeks in. That's 49 days. Are right? you measuring
1: from the point of capture of September 12th or the point, the All still right. indeterminate?
0: So, so the, I think Spencer Ackerman's original Daily Beast story had him, had him turn over to the US on September 14th. So we're yeah, so so about that time. six and a half weeks in, there you go. Okay. right? Six plus weeks in. When is it no longer too soon?
1: Well, when did it stop
0: being too soon? Yes, so so I, I we've you know Ben we've talked about this before. Ben Wittes and I have talked about this. I have offered the the completely arbitrary but I think deeply defensible suggestion that 30 days right is too soon. Right, that the government should get 30 days to settle the disposition of someone captured in the context of yep. an armed conflict. Um, you know and at the very least if the government's going to say it's too soon they ought to explain why right no so there i agree that wherever one draws
1: the line and it's it is necessarily going to be an arbitrary line yes. barring any kind of statutory development to create a line so of course you're just going to have to make a decision balancing the equities right. but if if and when the government the government should always have the ability to say there are special circumstances here
0: and let me come in ex parte in camera to explain
1: what yeah, they are that's fine that's
0: fine but they yeah. haven't done it here, right? Well, we don't know. Or, sorry, sorry we don't there's know no that. indication that they have tried to do it. There's no reference in the public brief filed right. last night suggesting that there are compelling reasons not on the record for why it's too soon. But I think there's a
1: sequencing here. So, that in part, it's not happening here because the bulk of the brief is saying these guys don't get to represent the guy. Right. Next, next friend standing is right. not. Been established. But even if they did, if, too if, soon. But if they did too soon, that then leads to I think naturally for the judge should have to put the government to account on this. So, so, but
0: this is why. So, so, not to beat my own dead horse, right? Again. <laughs> Into the ground, um, but this is so. Jurisdictional discovery wouldn't answer that question, right? Because even if the jurisdictional discovery were to settle that John Doe wants this case brought and wants ACLU or let's say the DC Public Defender, right, yeah. to bring on his behalf, that would then only raise the question of whether his lawyers are entitled to access to him. But
1: the, wouldn't that be a matter of jurisdictional uh, determination? As I don't well? think so,
0: because right. So, so the jurisdictional question is: Is there standing? Right. Standing, I think, is established once it's clear that John that that John Doe has authorized both the lawsuit and to have the lawsuit brought by the relevant lawyers. So it's is it what is it? A question of subject matter
1: jurisdiction as to when this right attaches? I don't know if, if it's in,
0: in other words, if it's yeah. premature, is it that it's not right? No, no. I, no, no. I, my point is just that it's it's a merits question right, yeah. that, that comes necessarily subsequent to the resolution of jurisdiction. And so it, to me, the logical way for Judge Chutkin to proceed, because I'm sure she is listening, um, <laughs> right, is to first do the stupid little jurisdictional discovery, and then assuming Doe says yes to questions one and either two or three, then say, OK, so hello, lawyers, you're in the case. Now what?
1: Well, so I think it's not quite that simple. I think these things are really hard to parse out. This question of when is too soon? When is the what should the stretch of right. time be where the government is allowed to keep this
0: entire litigation
1: process out?
0: Um, out or secret? Because those aren't the same thing to me, right? Like, like this is where I think we're disagreeing, right? What I'm saying is, I could imagine a world where Judge Chucan says, "Hey ACLU, you're allowed to proceed on this guy's behalf, but we're now going to have a fight." Do
1: anything for a while, but
0: but right right exactly, but um. Now's the time. To, right, ACLU, um, you've got to file your, you know, what your your trover, right? Um, <laughs> trover, um, right. So, so ACLU, you probably, in order to sort of file your brief, you probably want to know who this guy is, and you probably want to get to talk to him. That's a discovery, right? That's that's a merits question. That's a now that I have jurisdiction, I can sort so out.
1: You're, you're sort of bifurcating the yes. contact where there's sort of the the, the gentle light touch. Paperwork inquiry, then there's the actual get to meet your client stage. Yep. You gotta have at least that kind of bifurcation. But I'm I'm wondering whether the zone of freedom for the government post capture that stretches at least it certainly stretches yeah. stretches for hours, probably yeah. days, likely weeks, maybe months. I wonder if that doesn't exclude even your initial, hey, the ACLU
0: would like so to. So, Bobby, imagine the following scenario. Because okay? it can't be within the first hour. I don't know. So, this is what I want to push you on, right? So, mm-hmm. imagine, right, that you are, you are my, my, one of my best friends and my lawyer, okay? Um, President Trump, after reading some of the op eds I've, I've written in the last couple of days, right, decides to arrest me and throw me into a brig, right, with no, yeah. with no review, okay? Um, I see the FBI coming. And as I'm being arrested, I text you and say, Bobby, please file a habeas petition on my behalf. I don't know where I'm going to be held. right away we've already got
1: the attorney client relationship
0: established right, and you're
1: not in a combat zone which i think is the critical right, difference i so
0: i fly to syria and i'm on the and i'm on the battlefield in you're just finding my hypothetical right, so, right because i'm right. trying to make it more like the actual case fine, we're talking right. about so i'm on the battlefield in syria okay and i see the i see the us army coming over the hill right and i'm in the middle of putting my gun down and raising my white flag to surrender while i'm texting you with the other hand bobby i'm about to be captured by the military in syria please file a habeas petition on my behalf right i would argue that at that point you could you as my attorney and my next friend have both my authorization and the power to file a habeas petition Mm -hmm. on my behalf and the government will be completely within its rights to say that's fine but we don't have to do anything for a while
1: right we're not going to have any access you're not going
0: to get access to steve for x number of days until until it's no longer too soon we're holding him an undisclosed location right we're not telling you anything he'll get icrc access Right. So, so I just think
1: these are a little bit apples and oranges for the point I'm trying to make. So in that case, we've hypothesized. that I've got the evidence. I'm your next friend. I am your attorney. Right. And your interest in having me retain, uh, retained is clearly established. Because there's
0: jurisdiction, even with even with the agreed right of the government to not have to comply right away. The fundamental question is uh, your as light touch as your mechanism for jurisdictional discovery is, which yeah. with
1: the three questions, it nonetheless does require some you know, interposition with the the capture. And I would imagine that if it's in the hours after capture, if somehow, you know, there was an embedded reporter with the unit who tweeted out, hey, they just captured an American citizen. Yeah. And they're in there trying to establish this sort of, you know, sense of dependency, rapport building, what have you. There, there There's going to be an exclusive zone where the jurisdictional discovery is going to have to wait. Now, here's an interesting possibility. Maybe there are multiple stages to the waiting, Right. Maybe there is an exclusive zone of control where the judicial process doesn't get to intervene even for the jurisdictional discovery. And that runs a very limited period of time. But but where or how long? Who knows? That's up for grabs. And then there's the further question mm-hmm. of your bifurcated model where the actual contact must come later. I think it
0: could be two different deals. That, that That's OK. I, I see and, your and point. I, and
1: I think that here we're way past the initial. That, that's the right? I think we're in agreement on
0: that. I, I, I see your point. I just I just think that. Listen, I'm I'm being a hyper nerd about this, right? I just think I just think if there's a difference between when jurisdiction attaches. Hyper nerd would be a great superhero name. Hyper nerd I, he dresses myself. <laughs> amazing doctrinal powers. Um, <laughs> um, So I I just think I just think that there's a difference between when juris. I just think there's a formal difference between when jurisdiction attaches and when the right of access might necessarily be triggered. Yep. That's okay. all I'm saying.
1: So we, we disagree in minor ways, none of which are really relevant Something here. Something new
0: and different to this podcast. Okay. Um, speaking of folks who are held in at least some period of incommunicado detention. Nice. We have another one of those classic... Uh, sort of hybrid, hybrid Warsame model. I think we're calling it the Warsame model. Is That's that-
1: what I, I've always called it the Warsame model. This is why well, I always I call, call it
0: the Bobby model. Oh, because
1: you know, hopefully, I'm not actually subjected to it. <laughs> uh, the hybrid model is the framework in which the person is captured through military means, sometimes partnered with foreign uh, liaison, sometimes not, but captured militarily overseas and is initially in a short term uh, state of military detention, en route, usually slow on a ship. In route back to the United States for eventual prosecution. So, um, uh, the Muhammad Warsami case was an early example of this, uh, captured in the Gulf of Aden, held on the USS Boxer for, I think, maybe a month or so, and usually this entails an early pre-Miranda stage of interrogation from the high-value interrogation group, followed by an FBI clean team that then Mirandizes the person. They attempt a uh, civilian sort of law enforcement-oriented interrogation, and then the person, you know, the indictment's unsealed or the complaint is filed, and they show up. In this case, Mustafa Aliman will be brought to the District of D.C., Um, And we don't know any details yet from the public record other than the following. Uh, In some way or fashion, uh, some sort of interagency type of FBI is involved, uh, special ops probably involved, Libyan government may be involved, at least nominally involved. They find this guy somewhere in Libya. They grabbed him. He is, as far as I know right now, not yet in the United States, which strongly suggests he was taken to probably a U.S. Navy vessel somewhere in the Med. Um, A
0: slow boat to America.
1: Right. Now, this is super interesting because – so this is Benghazi related. Um, Abu Qatala's, you know, trial just went down. The other person we had in our custody, right? So this will be an associated case. Um, In Abu Qatala's case, also captured there, also brought on a slow boat. There had been an attempt uh, by his defense team to to challenge the case and the evidence uh, in light of the idea that there was too long a period – of military custody and too long a period of of pre-Miranda, pre-clean team interrogation and all the rest. And the court's opinion, which we talked about not that long ago, uh, ultimately approved of the hybrid models application in that case, but emphasized a lot of really unique facts about how the, the, the ship took so long in part because it had engine trouble. By coincidence, there wasn't an aircraft carrier or other available way to get from a ship to a plane. Um, and I pointed out at the time that the government shouldn't be too excited about that precedent right. because of the highly fact-specific and contingent nature of that ruling. Um, if if we have the, you know, oh, my God, the ship's having engine trouble again. And uh, once again, we can't seem to find it. We keep a,
0: using the same broken ship. Yeah, we've got to quit
1: using that ship. Um, this is potentially going to be problematic. And these are the kinds of challenges that right now, presumably, um, government lawyers are wrestling with. How long can the interrogation go on? And that's intermixed with facts that you and I don't know about, well, is it productive right now? Is this guy even talking? Is there any reason to think he might stop talking? Um, We don't know what's going on there. But let's face it, uh, he is right now a, a new enemy combatant for such time as he's being held in this transitional custody. And you can say what you want about how he's not an enemy combatant. This is all just in service of ultimately getting him to uh, criminal justice custody, well, no, it's a conscious choice to keep him in military custody in the meantime. It's short-term military detention. So uh, the charges that have been dropped are kind of a standard array of charges you would expect to see and did just see with Abu Qatala. There's nothing really interesting to comment on there. I think we should have to wait and see
0: how long is this guy's boat ride? <laughs> I agree. I just say the the one piece I would add is you mentioned at the top the statement from the White House. Oh right. Sorry. Um, the best part. Which well I think it's the most interesting part, right? Because Totally. You know, we've been we and and those of us in the in the sort of bizarre little circle of national security law, you know, peeps, right, have been waiting for any sign that the president was going to make good on his campaign pledge to, to reinvigorate Guantanamo, right, to find new bad guys, right, to send to Guantanamo. Um, and just, you know, my superficial reaction to this case is, unlike the, I don't remember his name, the guy from Spain, um, right, where there were clear reasons why Guantanamo was never a possibility, why Spain would have Oh, you have mean the one that was in Spanish custody? Right. Spain um, would never have... Tra- Spain would never have transferred him if he was yeah. going to Guantanamo. Here we have a guy captured by our own special forces, apparently in right. Libya. And Libya's not going to... Libya's not going raise to a, raise a hackle. And so it seems to right. me that if, if, if the administration was actively looking for a new test case for Guantanamo, um, this looks pretty good. Well, so I think that... Would you agree, though, that if it's not clear he's...
1: Definitely part and parcel of an AUMF covered so group they're, and I maybe mean, me right. buying share.
0: So so the the only rub I could see, right, is the can you really tie Benghazi right to the AUMF? Yeah. Right. Um, and maybe that would have been reasoned enough. All I'm saying is we're not even seeing nods in that direction. Right. Like, right. the you know, t- it appears from the White House statement that it was a no brainer that once this guy was arrested, he was going to end up however quickly or slowly. Right. In you know, and, there's, and, and there's all
1: this language in, in President Trump's uh, official White House statement about how it's important that these people be brought to justice. The prosecution's wonderful. Thank you, prosecutors. And it could have been it, that could have been a statement released by, by Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton. Um, and I don't want to give anyone a hard time about that. That's good. This is normalcy. In a case like this, it makes tons of sense if you've got the evidence to get them into the civilian
0: criminal justice process. Uh, listen, so- I mean, you and I have always agreed on this.
1: Yeah, like, let's not t- let's not beat him up yeah. for, for not going with things we might. No, not no, want I, to I do just it. we'll just
0: we'll just see how slow this boat is.
1: Yeah, and, and let me let me be clear. I actually think that in so far as there is a basis for uh, asserting that this guy is part and parcel of mm-hmm. a group that's connected to the armed yeah, conflict, yeah. that there's nothing wrong with the slow boat. And I actually think the idea that, it, that but because, because you because plan, I'm plan to, to oh. I'm trying yeah. to stir you up. I know. Um, because you plan to prosecute him doesn't mean you have to immediately
0: drop the enemy combatant so, so listen, so so all I want to say is if you believe that, right, then you should believe that Guantanamo was an option because one of two things is true. All right. right. Either that short-term slow boat detention is authorized by the AUMF, in which case why wouldn't Guantanamo be authorized by the AUMF, or it isn't, in which case we're back to my real concern about using the sort of Gray, right of no, the short term, but you're missing.
1: It's not. As, it's not inconsistent because you're missing the key nuance, which is uh, you may believe it's authorized by the AUMF, but you may also believe that it's more likely than not, that or a sufficiently court will disagree. likely, the court will reject your correct view and they will incorrectly reject it. Are you?
0: Is it really your position that a federal judge today is going to be less likely to find detention authorized by the AUMF than Professor Bobby Chesney?
1: Wait, I'm confused. Where do I fit into this? You said you. Well, I just meant the abstract you. The abstract I don't mean you. me.
0: But I am just saying, like, like I guess, you know, I'm all for, like, you know, yes, we all understand to distinguish between what the government lawyer thinks is the best argument and their prediction of what a court's actually going to rule. I just, you know, the notion that the federal courts are lining up to hold that detentions are unauthorized by the AUMF strikes me as... Oh, look, I think it
1: entirely depends on... We don't have any yeah. Guantanamo
0: Habeas cases that aren't... For these traditional sort of
1: 2001 to 2003 period captures, we don't have anything presenting like, well, this guy was a member of Ansar al-Sharia in Libya, which has a tie through the social network of jihadis to AQIM, which is kind of an associated force. We don't have hard cases like that, so we don't know where the courts would come down in a case like this if they were to try military detention.
0: Yeah, all right, so, well, yeah. I All guess right. Stay tuned. To we'll see you on the boat docks.
1: So, let, you want to skip over the AMF hearing? Maybe just with a few passing comments. So, about passing the, comment
0: number one: lots of talk, no action. Shocking.
1: So, you know, it's a hearing. Lots it's, of talk to be expected. But um, I mean, do you, do you I, didn't do hear, hear anything?
0: Any... Did, did you right? I was going to say, did you hear anything that suggests that like we're we're moving off of the impasse that has prevented us from getting a new AMF oh, legislation no, no, for no, no, the last no, four no. years?
1: No, there's there's no reason to think that either the White House or or the the leadership figures in the Senator House who can actually move the legislation are going to do anything. No. And so th- it was interesting. Lots of interesting, good points were shared around, but I don't think there's any real news made, as near as I could tell. No. Okay. Um, let's. Oh, I do want to say one thing under this, Please. real quick. So the AMF hearing got some extra boost because there's been a lot of angst out there and a lot of commentary about the ambush of, of special operators in special forces. In, uh, in Niger, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there was a lot of talk about, oh, who knew that we were there? What's the status of our troops there? There's been a lot of back and forth. Were they there under color of the statutory train and assist authority, which I think is sort of the, the main narrative? Or to what extent was there a separate and in sort of JSOC-based uh, targeting mission, either, either JSOC in the lead or supporting either French or, or Nigerian forces or, or some other local force? And is that within the scope of the AMF? You and I both know, and and, and apparently more so than some members in in Congress, um, that the War Powers Resolution, as we quoted last week, has repeatedly noted the presence of U.S. forces over there. Um, I think one thing that's not been mentioned much in the debate, because most people don't know the statute exists, there is a specific and relatively recent vintage uh, federal statute that requires notification uh, to the House and Senate Armed Services Committees for something called sensitive military operations. Right. And this is a parallel, a very conscious parallel, to the notification system that is at the center of covert actions for Title 50. How does this work? Well, it's 10 U.S. Code Section 130F. And I don't mean subpart F. I mean it's one of those ones where – The letter part of the The letter part of the statute because they don't want to renumber everything, and they keep <laughs> wanting to add things in sequence. So it's 10 U.S. Code 130F. Notification Requirements for Sensitive Military Operations. Uh, the se- Quoting now, the Secretary of Defense shall promptly submit to the Congressional Defense Committees notice in writing of any sensitive military operation conducted under this title no later than 48 hours following such operation. Well, what is a sensitive military operation? It's defined to mean, uh, first, a lethal operation or capture operation. And there's been some suggestion that that's what JSOC might have been involved in here. A, when conducted by the armed forces outside a declared theater of active armed conflict. Let me repeat that. Conducted by our armed forces outside a declared theater of active armed conflict. So, like Niger. Or, conducted by a foreign partner in coordination with our armed forces, where you're targeting a specific individual or individuals. So, whether this was a, 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 whether there was a JSOC operation to capture or kill somebody, in Niger, or whether there was a Nigerian or a French operation, we were involved in providing support to it. If there was a targeted capture or kill operation, then it required sensitive military operation reporting to House and Senate Armed Services Committee within 48 hours. Um, You know, what follows from that? Not not a lot, just that this idea that these things go on and that we have to pay attention and this suggestion out there that, oh my God, you know, there's gambling in Casablanca, somebody should create some kind of process so we have a better transparency into it. Presumably, you know, A, the War Powers Resolution is already clearly doing some of that work. Niger has been notified for a long time under that heading. Then secondly, House and Senate Armed Services have this mechanism exactly, I mean, exactly for this purpose and probably because of awareness of past examples like that. So does that mean we have perfect transparency? It it obviously isn't reporting to the public. That's different. Um, But we do, in fact, have some pre-planning for this scenario. All right, so that's what I wanted to say about that, Steve. You got some late breaking news for us here on. Well, on Carol, Sherry, Rosenberg anyway. Carol Rosenberg does anyway. Carol Rosenberg does. This connects up with our prior story we've been following about the, the. Uh, Avalanche of ethical objections that the defense team for Al has has decided to to hang their hat on this idea that we think we're being monitored in our attorney client communications and we can't ethically proceed and
0: therefore we're withdrawing. So so let me just say we think might be a little unfair, right? Um, we 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 believe c- citing classified information that we're not privy to, right? So I, so I don't
1: see the difference really in the. Uh, you know they believe we we have evidence i'm what, not saying they don't have some evidence we what, I'm don't saying, what, it is. what i'm
0: saying is they they have suggested publicly that this is not just speculation on their part right well, of course well that would be a pretty lame withdrawal uh, system if they did otherwise right but of so, but, but so presumably judge Spath actually has access to the classified information behind this right um so i, I guess i have three quick things to say right the first is um, nothing i have seen right has suggested any um, disputation of the merits of their objection, right? What what I mean by that is none of the government's filings and nothing Judge Faith has said, at least on the record in the hearing, right, has suggested that they are incorrect as a factual matter about the basis for the dispute.
1: Fair, but is it also the case, I I don't have the impression that the merits have been joined on this. And right now we're fighting over whether the, claimed ethical problem yeah. is one that can be sufficiently, that the decision to withdraw based on the claimed ethical problem, whether the decision to approve that withdrawal lies with the defense team's sort of but, senior but, management or
0: with the judge. But don't you think that if the government, that if this was a nothing burger, the government would have at least said, and oh, by the way, in any event, this is all much ado about nothing? Uh, I really, I'd have to look closely at the okay. filings to see whether I think that's a, something that's conspicuous
1: by its omission. I, I think
0: it is. I, I, yeah. I obviously... It's a fair spe-
1: point. If, if the context is such that, boy, you would think they'd deny it, then you'd expect to see more. That okay. said, as you pointed out a moment ago, yeah. so Spathe is in a position... Presumably to know, and as we're going to talk about here in a second, he seems unhappy that they're trying to make this decision without him.
0: So, so, so the real, so space real objection, at least as voiced thus far, has not been that there's nothing that there's no there there. It's that it should be up to him, not the chief defense counsel, General Baker, right? Whether these right. lawyers are in a position where they have to withdraw from the case, right? Um, and apparently, the news that's come out this morning, thanks to Carol Rosenberg, who by the way is the only reporter at Guantanamo right now. Um, good thing she's there, it's right? Not, it's not the first time that's been true. No, but it's the first time we've had a story quite like this, right, where I think the media interest was obvious, right, and the, and the relevance. Anyway, so apparently, I, I may be getting this wrong because I was reading the tweets quickly, but apparently here's where we are. Judge Speth has ruled that it's up to him, not General Baker. Um, whether these lawyers can be excused. Judge Baker, uh, Judge Baker, Judge Spath has called a hearing, I think for this afternoon, where he wants General Baker to testify about the grounds for authorizing these um, lawyers' uh, resignation, recusal, etc. cetera. Um, and he has also suggested that if the lawyers don't show up, right, by tomorrow, um, two things could happen. One, he could hold them in contempt, Um, Two, he will instruct the one remaining lawyer um, to proceed, um, which means that you will have this capital military commission trial proceeding without the presence of a learned counsel, even though – because everyone agrees that the one Navy lawyer who's left is not a learned counsel – even though the military commission rules, the military commission act, and arguably the Constitution requires the provision of learned counsel right. and, and because learned
1: counsel is a term of art that signifies capital punishment experience.
0: Yes, and yeah. so the whole idea is that a, a, a capital defendant has a right um, to have a especially good, not good, it's not it's not a qualitative right. assessment, but experienced capital lawyer. So I have a very different view on those two different things. It seems almost
1: obvious to me that the judge should be the one make at least the judge should have a hearing to decide and to hear the argument why the judge shouldn't be the one that signs off on this sort of thing. I don't think it's that uncommon when someone wants to withdraw from from a representation in a criminal proceeding where the the judge doesn't always go along with that there are circumstances where judges will compel people to stay in representation where otherwise the prosecution's in jeopardy which is clearly the case here so i'm not surprised by that there may be something in the rules that somehow makes it less uh, so the case for a military commission presiding judge but my reaction to that was i'm not surprised and and if if i realize it's contested but if i'm right about that that it's within the judge's competence to at least possibly assert primacy in that decision-making process, then I'm not surprised at all to see the court leveraging the contempt threat to make people show up so they can play this out. The idea that the case might have to go forward without a learning counsel in violation of the rules you mentioned—that to me is a separate issue, yeah. which I have, I have no, no real sympathy with trying to make it go forward. Yeah. and I and I doubt that that would stick. I, I'd imagine.
0: No, no, I, I think I think that I think that Notchie would have a pretty good case for a for a, a temporary restraining order, a or stay of some kind. Some, yeah, some kind of stay would happen, and then there'd be some kind of right. really complicated so, rigmarole. so so I don't want to sort of I, I don't think our listeners are going to be that interested by an extended exegesis <laughs> of how the of who the military commission rules give the power to. Right. It is certainly true that. The mil- that the book they give the judges says it's up to the judge, which is why Spay thinks he can do it. Th- it that is- that is <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> No, because it is also true <laughs> that the actual rules for military commissions and the military commission act itself both make it look like it's up to the chief defense counsel. Seems like we should have a hearing. So, all right, so let so maybe the right answer is happy to testify. But here's the problem: the reason why the lawyers didn't want to show up is because they were worried that if they lose, they'll be forced to participate in the hearing that they think is unethical. Uh, at at that hearing, though? not No, but uh, but once right. they're in Guantanamo, they can't – this is, again, right, but, but the but officers of Guantanamo. The f- they can't go without okay, but, the government's permission. They that, can't leave without the government's permission. That
1: fear is the very merits issue that we need to ultimately get to, right? And the question is who's going to
0: not No, I don't think there's a merits question. So, about you, whether they're being surveilled and whether the ethics no, is real? about No, about whether the judge has the power to compel them to continue to part to violate the ethics rules. To, you're, to you're, continue to participate, you're assuming
1: the violation. the whole, The point is the merits issue on this yeah. is whether or not there's really an ethics
0: violation. You can't just say, "Well, they said it is. They cited some evidence, yeah. therefore there is." Listen, I, I listen. My point is just that I think there is a so so. Have General Baker testify, right? I mean, that's right. fine. My point is just that that should be the end of it. Because if 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 either it's up to the judge or it's up to General Baker, right? I happen to think that the that the rules point toward it being up to General Baker. You think, right? Maybe it's up to the judge. Fine, right? But it's certain, you know what the question is once we're past that, right? Then why? Well, I think it, that's that's getting ahead of it
1: because I think the question for if, you're, if your concern is why should the other lawyers who want to withdraw be compelled to be there in person to be part of this? I think the question there is, uh, is there some element of what the judge may do if the judge is the decision maker? Right. If the judge decides he is, in fact, the decision maker, do you need them there as witnesses to describe what it is they're so upset about? Or is it adequate to have General Baker speak for them? Right. I don't think it's unreasonable
0: that they'd want the actual principal attorneys to be there. Maybe, except that, right? I think there's a reasonable fear in this case that you would not have in any other conference context that the lawyers by producing themselves would be trapping themselves and would be depriving themselves of the ability to not participate right because once they're in Guantanamo i mean right if you're a lawyer if you're a defense lawyer in this context right you can't go or leave you can't go to or leave Guantanamo without the government's permission you're and saying so- that the government would actually like
1: Sent, like, literally
0: hold them in, in in some kind of detainee status? Spaeth has threatened
1: to. If they're found in contempt of court, of yes. course that follows, and that would follow in any court, wherever the
0: location was, if you're in contempt of court. In a military commission? Why would that be different? So the statute, the, the, the rules for military commission say that detention should be up to the convening authority, not the judge. Okay, so... That's not Spaeth. That's Harvey Rishkoff. It's not Baker either. Uh, Detention on a contempt charge. I'm not saying that detention yeah, on a yeah. contempt charge is up to Baker. Yeah, I'm saying that the question of whether the lawyers had a
1: right to resign was up to Baker. So I think, as you say, we're probably arguing about details that aren't of great interest. But just to clarify, I think that the, the stakes here are important because the Nishiri case may not be able to go forward. Yes, And by extension, other cases like yeah, the 911 yeah, no, case may not be is, able to go I mean, forward. I mean,
0: wh- whatever you think the right answer is, and we finally found something we actually disagree about, right? Yeah. Um, This is a threat to the – this is a a structural threat to the ability of the commissions to do anything. Which to me is
1: yet an an even stronger argument for the judge in the first instance to make a decision on this and then to have it be appealed up from him. Of course, he won't have the last word on this if it's as big as we're saying. No, no.
0: I mean, so I think the real question is how do you get this to the D.C. circuit as fast as possible? I think – so you have a hearing tomorrow. The judge is
1: going to rule the way he rules, whatever he does. Hold someone in contempt. And and maybe someone's in contempt. Maybe someone's – Maybe someone's in, in custody because they, they flout the contempt order. We'll see. Oh, my gosh.
0: It's just... Oh, it's All just, right. Speaking of things that still... get under your skin, yes. let's
1: turn to trivia and close this out with a discussion of the incredibly exciting, compelling, amazing Astros-dominating
0: World Series. It's three which, to two, buddy. Don't get carried away. Woohoo!
1: Look, I, I'm, my, I'm taking my chips now. <laughs> I'm cashing them in. It's You have to admit, it's been great drama. It's been... It, it, but you feel it's it's sort of a I don't manufactured. Even know, drama. I don't even know
0: if it's great drama. It's great theater. It's great theater. It's pretty. Right. It's it's pretty. There are lots of colors. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> so all right, here's the problem. So 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 if if dear listeners, if you actually care about this, um, and if not, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, they're gone by now. They're long gone. If you actually care about this, Tom Verducci has a piece in Sports Illustrated that actually breaks down the data through the first four games, and I dare say, Game Five just Proves this to a T. Um, the basic problem is that the baseballs are too slick. Not juice. Not juice. But Not slick. Slick. Now, why is that a problem? Well, um, I have a, a long experience as a mediocre left handed high school pitcher. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that you do when you're a mediocre left handed high school pitcher is you develop a slider. Um, because you know, if you're mediocre, that means you probably don't have another good pitch, and the slider is sort of the easiest second pitch to develop if you really aren't that good. Okay. Right. Tell, tell me about the grip on a slider. So the problem with the grip on the slider is you're not just using the seam of the baseball; you're also using the natural traction you get off of the hide, right, okay. off of the actual sort of white part of so the baseball. You're
1: turning by squeezing the hide, not just grabbing on the leverage. You're creating the seam.
0: extra torque. Okay. Right. And so um, I think it's 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 not that uh, it's not that hard to see how what makes a slider successful is how tightly it spins right the the tighter a slider spins the more likely it is to break right and then the harder you can throw right the harder you can throw it with tight spin the better a pitch it is because it's not just going to break it's going to break late if it's fast right the faster it is the later it's going to break okay um when you hang a slider right which is the easiest pitch to hit in baseball what that means is that it broke early Right? A, a, a hanging slide. it's not that a hanging slider doesn't break, it's that it breaks as soon as it leaves your hand. And then it just comes lobbing into yeah, the batter. It's batting practice. Right? Okay. Um, if you don't have a good grip, right, you can't throw a slider. Um, you can't throw a knuckleball either, but there are no knuckleballers in the series. Say, oh,
1: somebody right? call up Tim Wakefield.
0: So- and Verducci and, and has data, right? Verducci has clear data on swing and miss rates for pitchers in the series whose dominant or at least second pitches are sliders, like you, Darvish. Um, like... Kenley Jansen, like Giles, like Giles, the, the Astros, yeah, yeah. Ken Giles. And, and
1: I'll add uh, Brad Peacock. Right? Brad Peacock. To your point, he has stopped throwing the slider. They all have. What's going on? Well, so here's the
0: problem. So the pitchers, like everything, are adjusting, right? They're not just going to keep throwing, you know, hanging sliders, right? They're going to stop throwing their sliders. And the people who have figured that out are the batters. And if the batters know that they don't have to look for a slider. So their chances of sitting on the other pitches increase... Dramatically, yeah. right? So, no surprise then that the home run rate in this World Series is one every 17 at bats versus one every 27 at bats in the regular season, which itself was already a crazy all time record. So,
1: the culprit, if culprit is the right term, uh, or the contributing factor here is the the demise s- of the slider. The demise of the slider, which you're saying
0: is, in slick people baseballs. are whispering
1: is the ball is. Slick people here? aren't just
0: whispering. The pitchers are all. Justin Verlander said this the other day. Like everyone is saying the baseball is slick and can't be gripped. Do we know anything about where these balls, like World Series, so Major League baseball, baseball is swearing on a stack that it's the same balls. That all that's different is the logo, right? Because they've used gold instead of blue for the seal. Yeah, that shouldn't. It's just not true. Just don't grip the ball. It, it's just the logo. not true. Now I'll leave it to our listeners to decide whether it's a. Cons- conspiracy theory theory or just an accident. Doesn't matter. Could be either one. Right. But you're saying that's why it's been an explosion of runs. Not just an explosion of runs, but like an explosion of bad pitching. Right. And so why have these two excellent pitching staffs been decimated? Why have these managers been, you know, forced to destroy their bullpens? Right. Why is no lead safe? It's because these pitchers are throwing, not batting practice, but if you take away their sliders, these pictures are, you know, you're limited all, their all you've
1: done, all you've succeeded in doing is persuading me that this World Series is even more awesome and interesting than I already thought it was. Because now we have machinations and conspiracies. Oh. But,
0: but, but here's the thing. Okay, so I said this at the top, like the new Star Trek movies, right? The JJ Abrams Star Trek movies. They're really the Chris Pine as Captain Kirk movies, right? They're really pretty. They're visually interesting. They're even not bad as action movies yeah. go, but there's right? no soul. There's no soul. There is no soul to the new Star Trek movies. There is no soul to this World series.
1: I disagree. I think it's got soul. I've got tons of soul. because you they're an Astro's fan. I, I think that the fact that Houston as a community was been, had, was utterly devastated yeah. and now they have this wonderful story to hang their hat around in a franchise that's never won the series now now might. Yeah. Uh, I think it's got plenty of soul. I do think that anything that, you know, anytime there's tinkering with the equipment, whether it's intentional or accidental. Yeah, from a purist perspective, it's like, that's too bad. Although I would say it sounds like this is affecting, this This is a lowering tide, lowering all boats pretty much equally. I don't see yeah, any I evidence mean, that this is in any way sort of favoring I mean, uh, one side or the other.
0: I'll, I'll just say, here's the thing. I, I think I think there are two differences, right? The first is, I think you can make an argument that the Dodgers' bullpen is a bit more dependent upon the slider than the Astros' bullpen, but, you know... Well, let's it, hope so. Even <laughs> if that's not true, um, if ever there was a stadium in Major League Baseball mm. where taking away a slider from... Right, keep in mind, sliders are pitches that tend to produce ground balls, right? Because they tend to go break down or pop ups, right? Okay. Um you take away the slider, um, you're gonna get more fly balls, you're gonna get you get higher fly balls. It, Bobby, is there any stadium in major league baseball that really rewards um high fly balls that might actually be out in most other stadiums? Oh I don't know, Minute Maid, Minute Made Made Park maybe? Well the, okay, the Crawford so boxes in well, so left field. So what about LA? Um, so L.A. doesn't have the same – conventional dimensions. You don't have anywhere near the same home run effects. Park yeah. effects is what they're called in baseball oh, yeah. systems. Um, in games one and two, we still saw a ton of home runs. That's because it was so unnaturally hot. Remember, it was 103 oh, yeah. degrees for yeah. game one.
1: Well, you know how it is. I mean, here in Texas, it's cool. Out there in California, I mean,
0: hot. I know, right? They should come to <laughs> Texas where it's like 54 today. <laughs> all right. Um, on that note – So, so I, I, all I just want to say is is um, it's a fun world series to watch. The, pure, the baseball purist in me who's not a fan of either of these teams just – is grimacing that at means the, you can go like, arcade you can go trick-or-treating tonight with no complaints you can go as a curmudgeon even
1: and, <laughs> <That's something laughs> they do it different for me <laughs> and if uh if it rains as it might tonight here in austin um i'll, I'll be a wet a, curmudgeon I, you'll be a wet curmudgeon and i'll be inside uh you know in costume, can, am- can,
0: can "Wet Curmudgeon be the title of this episode?
1: I kind of want to. I want to go with something unsealed indictment. Okay, well, like, yeah, we'll, oh, well, we'll unseal the us. "Wet Curmudgeon's indictment. <laughs> that sounds like something creepy. It is. Um, all right, folks. Happy Halloween! Yes, indeed. Stay stay safe out there. Adios. <laughs>